Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 242. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach, possibly also a 10th planet jiu-jitsu approach, because we're joined again by Brandon McCaffrin. How's it going, BMAC? What's up? What's up? Glad to be back. (laughs) Happy to have you here. I don't know if you need a quick intro. I mean, I think probably most people out there have seen you without a flak jacket slapping people around and making (laughs) other... You know, quality content, but you know what? Let's do it. Why didn't you go ahead and just tell the folks who you are just in case? All right. My name is Brandon. I am a second degree black belt under Eddie Bravo and I run 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu in Decatur, Alabama. And I get to do commentary for all the big jiu-jitsu shows. A lot of fun. Yeah. I have uh, gotten used to hearing your dulcet tones all over the place lately, man. You have been uh, on quite the tour. Yeah. It's been insane, man. Like I don't have a weekend at home until like December right now. (laughs) Well, I do thank you very much for making the time, man. Always great to have you on here. And today I have a topic, as I was saying before we hit record, I thought you would be specifically perfect for some people in our community were thought, you know what, something we've never talked about here, the lockdown. And I thought to myself, you know what, I know a guy from 10th Planet who knows Eddie Bravo, and he knows all of those funky 10th Planet positions, like the, what do they call them, like the drug dealer and the flat earth and all of those things. Yeah, yeah, it's a couple of them. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, you know what, this is a guy that would be great to talk to. I would say that if you're listening to this and you're maybe newer in your jiu-jitsu journey and you haven't seen the lockdown probably it's going to be pretty hard to get a lot of value out of this conversation because it's a little bit hard to describe in words what it is. But the way that I've always thought of it, and Brandon, you tell me if you've got a different way of thinking of it, just a quick layman's definition. If you are on bottom half guard and your opponent is desperately trying to free their leg and pass, one of the things you can do is use both of your legs to grapevine their leg and hold it there and effectively lock them down, hence the name. That's the lockdown, right? It's basically a bottom half guard play that you can use where you grapevine your opponent's leg and just if they can't free their leg, by definition, they can't pass your half guard. So that's how I've always thought of it. But uh, BMAC, if you've got a better way to think of it, feel free to share. Well, I don't know if it's better, but I do have maybe a more general way to think of it. I think of it as a two-on-one, the same way that you might think of a Kimura as a two-on-one or a Russian tie. It's two of my limbs tangling up one of your limbs, and then I move around that limb. I use the rest of my body to move around that two-on-one. And the lockdown is the same thing. It's two-on-one leg lace from the bottom position, and then I use that leg lace to kind of hold you where I need you, and then I move myself around that lace. 
Yeah, great definition. I absolutely love the position I have since I was a white belt. That said, like every position, it's got its strengths and weaknesses. And as with many 10th planet things, it can be somewhat controversial in discussion. Isn't that hilarious? That's so <laughs> strange. Yeah, I know. It's You would think that these techniques have like political beliefs or something, given how controversial they can be. It's so weird. People are so weird about like what they will and will not attach to. It is very strange for sure. But I do think, you know, if you're being honest, the lockdown is a tool that's got some strengths and some weaknesses. And I do agree with people that it's not a Swiss army knife. You're not going to want to throw out every other half guard tool you've got just to play lockdown all the time. But it can save your ass. The thing I love about lockdown is that it's, at least for me, it's really good at late stage defense. If someone has you smashed, they've got you cross-faced, and they're about to free that leg and complete the pass, sometimes lockdown is the only thing you can do to save yourself and get some space and get back to a good spot. That's where I often use it. But I would want to hear from you, where does this fit into the toolbox? How do you 10th Planet guys apply this and you know, put this in, in place with the, the crackhead and the meth addict and all of these other positions? Where does it fit into the equation? I would say it's definitely like the preferred half guard style of most of the 10th planet guys, but not everybody plays it well. I think the the lockdown really has a major and valid criticism. So let's speak to its weakness, first of all. And that is, well, there's twofold. Number one, you're generally starting from flat on your back, which is not, that's just not a good idea, right? And then the other criticism is that, yes, it's a lockdown, but it locks you down too because it prevents you from moving your hip. And that is a valid criticism if your only way to move your hip is in the traditional way. But if you can learn to take that half guard, take that two on one and use it to bump your opponent forward, keep their weight above your hips, then you learn a new way to move with the half guard by whipping the lockdown back and forth. And using that movement and that momentum and that space that's created from that to climb inch at a time. So it's more like climbing a mountain than it is jumping to the top of the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And that's a great point you bring up. Most of the time when you're attacking from half guard, you generally don't want to be flat on your back, both shoulders on the mat. Just makes it too easy for your opponent to get that chest-to-chest connection and pin you. And passing always gets easier when you can pin your opponent onto the floor, both shoulders to the mat. And the weakness, of course, like you said, with lockdown is you kind of have to start from that position. What I have found personally, though, is it's still very useful because sometimes you don't have a choice. You're going to wind up in that position anyway. Usually if your initial half guard game didn't work out, you're in the process of getting past. If you're already getting smashed onto the mat and your shoulders are already pinned and you're already getting cross-faced by your opponent, the lockdown is still readily available. Whereas a lot of other traditional half guard games won't work from there because you can't get to your side, you're getting cross-faced, that's going to shut down the classic half guard game, but lockdown is still an option from there. So to me, I've always thought of it as especially useful as a late stage half guard game, but something that you mentioned is a lot of 10th planet guys will just go there from the start, which is quite different from how I play it. Tell me a little bit about how that looks and why you would do something like that. Well, if you have confidence in your two-on-one, it would be just like having a preference to go to the Kimura from the bottom of half guard. Like, oh, I like to, when he's passing my knee shield, I like to try to lace up a Kimura on the far arm and go two-on-one and then move my body around. Like, think about the way that you would work if you had a two-on-one with a Kimura 
from the bottom of half. You get your two-on-one laced up. You'd move your hip out and maybe you invert right there. You go to like a shoulder saddle position or you even can sweep the guy back over your head. You can maneuver around for a back take. But all of that movement would be built on getting the two-on-one and then moving yourself around the two-on-one, right? The lockdown, in my opinion, and the way that I play it is used the same way. So when does the lockdown occur for me? I don't like to to do things from flat on my back offensively, at least. I mean, some spazzy white belt's out trying to jump around my guard. I might just lay down and let him have what he wants to get the party started. But if I'm me and you are going, it's not going to be a great idea for me to let you start with me flat on my back, right? And so generally how I find the lockdown is it comes up during a butterfly pass. So like, or let's say that I'm playing the butterfly guard or even a knee shield or something like that. And you're starting to move through that. You're in the beginning stages of starting to pass my butterfly guard or my closed guard and you're stuffing that inside space. Well, rather than wait for you to flatten me out and then go, oh yeah, let me try half guard now. I would try to steal some of the things that I needed from you as you made that movement and I got into the lockdown. So like stealing the underhook before, like during your pass or, you know, just like if I was playing closed guard and you started to, to drop that narrow, say butterfly guard, and you started to push my knee down and start to win that inside space, I would want to take some other grip from you before you progress to exactly what you want. I don't want to just stay there, hang around and let you smash me and steal grips and steal all the little things that you need to make me miserable. If it takes five things, let's just say, for example, it takes five things in order, you need five things in order to finish this position, but you only have four. Well, as you go to take that fifth thing from me, I'll steal back number three. Or maybe as you now go to try to recover number three, while you're not looking, I get number one back from you. And you never quite have all five. You just always got some kind of mix of four. Or maybe now I got I got three and two. And now I'm going to be able to start to build a game from there. That's a really good point. And something about lockdown that I think a lot of people probably do wrong is they play it very passively. Whenever I'm playing a lockdown with someone and it's not working for them and I don't feel threatened, I usually notice a common pattern. And one is they're just obsessively focused on the leg grapevine and they're not worrying about any of the other points of control, like you said. You know, if someone's grapevining my leg, but they're not fighting for the underhook or they're not fighting to break the cross face, they just want to hold me there. I mean, that's fine. I can live with that. I eventually I'll get past and worst case scenario, even if I uh, don't get past them, then I can just sit there and smash them all day long. Totally fine by me. So I'd say that's a pretty common beginner mistake for the lockdown is just focusing so much on that leg that you're not thinking about, okay, how do I get the underhook? How do I clear the cross face? How do I make space? How do I find those other points of control that you talked about? Yeah, I mean, and that's true with any position, right? Like you don't want to wait until the guy has already started stealing from you before you start addressing it. Like I don't want to wait until he's broken into my house to try to put up a a security (laughs) system. Like I need to start addressing that kind of stuff early and be prepared for it. And I think a lot of people hold on to the lockdown too long also. Like this guy's smashing my lockdown. Well, it's probably time to move back to your butterfly guard. And I think having the butterfly guard and the lockdown really as just two parts of the same set is really important. 
preference for any weapon is the same error as having no skill with any weapon. And so if you're constantly trying to force a guy into, well, I'm a lockdown player, so I'm going to make you play in my lockdown. What if he's a great lockdown passer? Or what if he's just a great top half guard player? You might need to take some other stuff from him while he's not looking so that you don't have to deal with his strengths as well. Yeah, it's like any type of guard. If you've only got one option, it's going to be hard for you to have success because it's so hard to force a topside person into that one option. There's just so many things that they can do, so many other variants that they can switch to. And yeah, if you go in there with just one type of guard that you're really good at and no way to get people into that guard, then it's pretty easy to shut down. I mean, I know a mistake a lot of people with the lockdown make is they'll be so focused on trying to just, again, grapevine that leg that they forget it is an option for the person on top to stand up, get to their knees. And if that happens, you got to be careful if you're holding a lockdown because you can actually blow out your own knee if the person starts trying to get up and you insist on holding it there. So it's... Uh, I've heard that, but I have to be honest with you. I've been training basically every day for 17 years and I've gotten all of my ranks in 10th Planet and I've trained with every 10th Planet guy there is and I have never, ever one time even come close to seeing anybody do that move that you're talking about, that Indian death lock thing where you stand up out of it. Like, I've never even seen anybody get close to to getting that done. So I can't imagine a world where that's possible. Like, if you're playing the lockdown, you're trying to grab the guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. what grips, if you have, like, you're playing a lockdown, you have no grips on the upper body and you've refused to address them, I guess it's possible a guy could stand up in there, but I just can't imagine a world in where that could happen. I think the main trick with it is... Have you seen that before? I've seen it, but it's very, very rare. I've certainly never seen live? it. Live? Uh, not live, no. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard people on Facebook going, oh, well, I could do the Indian death. Like, I... <laughs> can you? Can you? Well, I think much like a the professional wrestling move, the Indian death lock, it requires a degree of cooperation to actually hit it. Because even if you fail to hold the person there and they start to stand up or get to their knees, you are under no obligation to basically maintain your legs in that configuration. You can let go. And in fact, the smart thing to do would be if... If you're trying to play lockdown, but the person does somehow manage to actually start to get up and build base, that's a great opportunity to switch to the butterfly or something like that. If you were to sit there and try to insist on holding the lockdown, basically, yeah, you might get leg lock doing that, but you're basically leg locking yourself at that point. It, it requires a very cooperative partner to make that happen. Yeah, and, and it would require you to be absolutely no jujitsu experience or grappling experience any experience of any sort whatsoever because as soon as the guy starts standing up all you would need is just to hold his wrist to stop him from doing that you wouldn't even need a real grip you just you could just have your hand on the back of his head you could have an overhook you could have an underhook you could have under his leg i just can't imagine a scenario in which somebody who had been training for more than three classes could get caught like that yeah. You know what? It reminds me of the Von Flu choke, right? You see this happen with beginners all the time where they think they've got a headlock on the person and the person just passes their guard, but they're still holding on to that headlock and then they just get Von Flu choked. It's like that. I mean, it is technically possible to happen, but it requires an opponent to basically do everything wrong, which can happen, but is very unlikely to happen past white belt. It's unlikely, but with the Von Flu, is that unlikely? It's kind of unlikely. But it, we have seen it happen at, at the highest level. We've seen that happen in the UFC 
at least three or four times, four times, right? And I've, man, I've got black belts with Von Flu chokes because if you can trap their their wrist with your shoulder shrug, then you know you can set up the Von Flu before you ever do pass. So at least with the Von Flu, as unlikely as it is, at least there's a world that exists. There's a a universe in the multiverse at which you can get caught with that. I just don't think that universe, I mean, look, the multiverse is pretty big. Maybe there's an Indian deadlock universe out there, but I haven't run across it yet. It's probably the same universe where professional wrestling is real and works all the time. Honestly, I would like that universe. That would be a pretty cool universe. It would be pretty cool. But, you know, it's funny because it does remind me of moves like the sharpshooter or the Boston Crab. They absolutely will work, but they completely require an opponent that uh, basically cooperates and lets you get into that position, which is just not likely. Yeah. The sharpshooter, I've never seen that one. I have seen and performed the Boston Crab on a number of occasions. (laughs) I, I have to admit, I am guilty of tapping blue belts with the sharpshooter every now and then. It, it is possible. Let's go. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's good or that it works high percentage, but if the person makes that mistake of letting you entangle their legs like that and they make the mistake of letting you turn them over, sure, right? At that point, they've basically cooperated with you all the way along. And I think that lockdown self-tap where you leg lock yourself, I think that's a similar thing too. You would have to be like that proverbial monkey with their hand in the cookie jar where they just won't let something go. (laughs) Then maybe it would work. Yeah. And that's still just a theory because you've been training a long time. I've been training a long time and neither one of us have ever seen it with our own eyes. Yep. Yep. It's like catching a leprechaun. Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's something I want to ask you then, which is how do you play lockdown like what are your goals from there you talked about whipping your opponent around which is the main way that you kind of sweep from there and i think probably a mistake that a lot of people make is they don't realize they're supposed to do that they will clamp the leg down and they'll try to just hold the person which might stall the top side passer for a few seconds but it's not going to ultimately shut them down explain a little bit what you mean about whipping the leg around because i think for a lot of people this is going to be a surprise to them Okay, so I think you're totally right. Most people, when they get the lockdown, they focus on making it as tight as they can, which is which means they're going to extend that two-on-one and clamp down and squeeze on the leg. The problem with doing that is that you've shut down your own hip mobility, right? Now, obviously, if your legs are locked down, you're not going to be able to put your foot on the ground and move your hip away and shrimp, right, to create space and get to your side. And so there has to be another way to move your hip because you have to move your hip. So you take that two-on-one lace, and rather than stretching it out, you bring your knees and bump them in the butt and try to make their weight come up above your head. So think about like with a flower sweep, for instance, like just a standard old flower sweep. I'm going to move over here, and in the gi, you're going to take a grip on that pant leg so that you can lighten the leg, load his weight up above you so that he'll become light so that you can turn it, right? With the lockdown... You need the same principle and play really with any sweep. You have to lighten the hips to take him over, right? So with the lockdown, the way that you lighten the hips is to use the two-on-one, pull your knees towards your face, and use that to bump the guy's weight above you so his eyes come up on level with your eyes or even higher if you get a really good bump. And now the hips are light. You've got a two-on-one, and your hip is free all of a sudden to start moving So that's the main element 
of the lockdown that I think most people miss. And to me, if you miss that element, then you just get your lockdown passed eventually. Yeah, that's a good point. Something that I've always thought of is when you're playing the lockdown, if you're trying to sweep from there, kind of reminds me of a lot of those uh, guard plays where you're playing open guard and you try to pull the person over top of you, either by dragging or if you can get under them, then you want to try to elevate them, like you said, by kneeing them in the butt or just extending your legs up. And the idea is you're trying to throw them over top of you. It can be hard to do that from some half guards because with a lot of half guards, your goal is to make space from your opponent. But the thing about the lockdown is you are allowing them to come forward and crowd you And although that has its downsides, mostly getting cross-faced and pinned to the mat, it does allow you to manipulate their center of gravity and kind of shoot them even farther forward because they are moving so far forward towards you that that leg control, it is easy to kind of lift your legs up off the ground, like you said, and that's going to bring their leg up as well. Yeah. So think about if you're playing a quarter guard and somebody's working a knee cut on you. And let's say that even, let's say you have the underhook from bottom and quarter guard. You get to your side, and they're starting to knee slice, drop their hip to the mat. If you take your top knee and just put your thigh right on the back of their butt and just bring your knee to your face, you're going to offset their balance. I'm sure everybody that's done jiu-jitsu for a couple of years has done that move where you just use that quarter guard to bump the guy forward and come up on the underhook. It's the same idea with the lockdown. You're just doing that before he freezes his knee. Yeah, yeah. And you talked about how if you fail to do that, The problem is your lockdown is at best a stalling tactic, which I think is a good observation. I mean, if you don't lift your opponent's foot off the ground like that, then it doesn't really matter how tightly you have them held in position. You're still letting them put that foot on the floor, which lets them get base and move around. And you're also committing yourself to this terrible position where your shoulders are pinned onto the mat. They probably have chest to chest. They probably have a cross face. And if you just stay there and your game plan is to just hold position forever, you can't hold that forever. You know, eventually your legs are going to burn out or the guy's going to find a way to loosen that that leg entanglement and they're going to pass and then you're stuck in a bad position. So I think that the mistake many people do use is they play lockdown, they get there as a stalling tactic to use it, but they don't really have a next step in mind about how do I actually sweep or advance the position from here. I would agree with you. I think that that's the major problem that most people have with the lockdown. And and listen, that's it's a valid criticism if you don't know how to move the guys weight and you don't know how to move your hip from within the two-on-one. If you can't do those things, and that's your understanding of lockdown, then yeah, your lockdown is going to suck and you're going to get passed and you're going to go, oh, Jed, Eddie, bravo, crap, don't work, you know? And you would be right in that case, but the deficiency isn't necessarily with the position, the deficiency is with the player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The hack that I remember, man, I felt so dumb when someone showed this to me, But I remember when I was a a white or a blue belt, people were playing lockdown left and right. And I was always getting my legs stuck there and I just couldn't pass. And then someone pointed out to me at some point, have you tried just relaxing your leg? And I tried it and it makes lockdown way weaker. I felt so dumb for not realizing that the the mistake so many white belts, for example, will make is when they're trying to pass lockdown, they go really tense and they're trying to pull that leg out as hard as they can. That actually makes it harder to pass, right? You want to have your leg looser if you're the person on top, because that lets you defeat the grapevine and pull that leg free. And so the problem with that stalling lockdown game is as soon as someone figures out to do that, 
they're just going to pass you. But if you start using that to lock down to rock them and lift them up and pull them forward, it doesn't really matter if their leg is loose at that point. They're still going to go for the ride. And that's when you can get into those other positions like you talked about. Yeah, I really think that thinking about the guard as a set of minor guards, let's say like a butterfly guard, half guard, lockdown, rubber guard, spider guard, whatever, insert guard that you like right there. If you have a preference for any of those guards, you're moving away from the idea, like the philosophical fundamental idea of what the guard is in the first place. The only guard is the guard. And I'm going to use the principles of the guard, balance, weight distribution, leverage, patience, timing. I'm going to use those principles to build a guard against this player that's coming and trying to attack me. And by doing that, one guard may manifest itself in that moment because of the attack that you're putting forth. It may manifest itself as a butterfly guard. Or if you're given a different attack, it may manifest itself as rubber guard or lockdown or spider guard or X guard or whatever it's going to be. But I think having a, we'll go back to the, what I said earlier, this is a quote from Musashi from the book of five rings. Having a preference for any weapon is the same error as having no skill with any weapon. Because when the time comes to pull the short sword, but you're a long sword player, like you prefer the long sword, you're not going to be able to pull. You're going to be jammed and you're going to get cut. Or if you're in long sword range, but you're really more of a short sword guy, so you're going to stick with the short sword, you're never going to be able to make contact and slice. And so having one weapon that you rely on and that you try to funnel the game to, I think is I think is an error. I think that it violates the fundamental principles of what it means to have a guard in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I would expand on that too and say that it also, if you're thinking of these positions as being rigidly defined and there's like a dictionary of guards and you can only play them that way, it can also kind of lead you down the path of this mistake where you think there's one true way of playing all of those guards. And if you're not playing it exactly the way that you saw on YouTube, then you're doing it wrong. But the thing that that doesn't take into account is we've all got different body types. We've all got different games. There are things that one person might be able to do that are tremendously effective for them, whereas someone with a different frame to just really struggle with it. And I think trying to get overly rigid in your mind about how you classify all of these techniques and what the right way is to do things, it kills the innovative nature of jujitsu sometimes. And where techniques and positions really shine is when people experiment and find the version that works best for themselves. So I think that kind of rigid thinking is something that, like you said, is good to discard. Not only good to discard, I would say it's necessary to discard to access higher understanding. Yeah. I don't know if it actually is referenced in the Musashi book, but a topic that I've discussed on the podcast and heard is this idea of shuhari from the martial arts, which kind of talks about the journey to mastery. And the idea is when you're the beginner, you're basically mimicking and you're copying just to get the reps under your belt. But to achieve true mastery, you need to eventually break from copying what your instructor taught you and go off on your own and discover what works for you and be fluid in your thinking, which sounds kind of like what you're talking about here, which is to escape those labels and escape this idea of, I am a like half guard butterfly player versus I, you know, just thinking more generally about the guard as a set of principles that you can always apply. Yeah, I think that's crucial. I think that it has to be that in order to really understand martial arts on a deeper level and to have it have some sort of actual meaning in your life rather than just I can beat this guy up. You have to be fluid. 
Now, something I want to explore here, and I know, of course, as a 10th Planet guy, I'm sure that you prefer no-gi. I personally am more of a gi guy, but the one thing that I have found with the lockdown is I have not noticed any issue playing that in the gi versus no-gi. Sometimes these positions have differences and you have to think about them. I have always found, if anything, lockdown is more effective in the gi because when you get that grapevine, the fabric just makes it so hard for the person to extract their leg. But I'm wondering if you've got any thoughts on that, whether this move should or could be played differently depending on whether you're wearing the kimono. I definitely agree with you. And I think that the more friction that there is in the game and the more handles there are in the game, the more the lockdown becomes a viable weapon. You know, I trained out here in Alabama. We got a big old warehouse and it's a hundred and something degrees in the summer and I don't turn the air conditioner on. We just open that door and we just stink and sweat and that's just the way it's going to be. In that environment, the lockdown is less viable because the guy can slip his knee line sometimes. Guy with a great lockdown, though, it's still hard. Like I was just at HQ. I was in Los Angeles this past weekend. We had a black belt open mat on Friday night. There's like 140 black belts on the mat. Crazy. I rolled 16 straight black belt rounds. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and of course, a lot of lockdown being played at a 10th planet black belt only open mat. A lot of lockdown being played. I like when people play the lockdown on me. I'm great at passing the lockdown. But there's this dude, there's a couple of guys over there with really serious lockdowns. And one of the guys, his name is Manny. He lives out in Texas and he was there for the weekend. And this guy, no matter how sweaty it was, I could not slip that knee line. And he took me over at least twice with his lockdown. I just had to concede instead of getting my knee ripped open, you know. So to your point, yes, with the with the gi pants on, it's a whole different world. Like there's almost no chance to slip the knee line at all. And that's, you know, you always see Eddie in the gi pants, rash garden gi pants, and that's why he does it. He's like, yeah, you can grab the pants if you want. I'm, you're not getting out of the lockdown though if I put it on. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I find too, I am personally quite partial to the lockdown. And I think part of the reason why is because I'm I'm generally pretty short and stocky. And at least for me, I mean, everyone's mileage may vary, but I have found for me having shorter, thicker legs, if I get a lockdown on someone, you know, they're just not going to break it free. I have the feeling, and I may be wrong on this, that if you've got really long, lanky legs, it might be a bit of a challenge because things can get kind of loose. But if you've got really short legs, I mean, I definitely suggest people consider looking into this position because you grapevine onto someone's leg. And if you've got short, thick legs, it's so hard to get that free because there's just not a lot of space for the person to move or to, to twist or to loosen it up. Yeah, you may be right. I've definitely noticed that with like, I'm more in your camp. I got these little short short, thick boy legs, you know what I mean? And so I like the lockdown, but I definitely noticed with some of our athletes that are, you know, long, lanky, got these long legs, that they don't gravitate towards the lockdown as freely. They they tend to be like open guard players. They kind of like those positions where they can shoot triangles at your face and try to melt you into the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will never be that guy. The triangle for me is something I've always struggled with just due to the leg length. So I always love moves like the lockdown where it feels like, oh, this one speaks to me. I can actually pull this one off. Well, it's funny you say that. Triangles actually, I wouldn't say always has been, but ever since Blue Belt, probably, I would say that's my best submission. It's the submission I hit the most by a long shot. I had somebody come in to help me with my website with all the rolling footage, and they were like, they just went back through like, I don't know, probably like close to a thousand rounds of rolling that I have on my website. 
and we documented there's a lockdown there there's a lockdown there there's a triangle and just documented what all the moves that I had hit over those rounds of rolling were and the triangle was my number one submission by more than double of my second one which is an arm strike oh wow now that's actually a great segue here submissions from lockdown okay is this ever worth playing i mean i know that some do exist i've seen funky weird banana split electric chair stuff from there but do you generally go for any submissions from lockdown or do you see it as being more effective as a sweeping or positional advancement situation i definitely see it as a sweeping position but it is possible for sure to get taps out of it like there's a little weird calf crank that i'll get every now and then but the electric chair itself I mean, I've seen, I've seen more people injured fighting off an electric chair than I have any other submission, Kimura, heel hook, anything. Interesting. Why is that? Do you think I, I haven't seen anyone personally get injured off of that, but then again, I don't train with a lot of 10th planet folks, so I don't get a lot of people trying it on me. What do you think is the reason why there's such a high rate of injury that you're seeing? I've probably seen, let me, let me see if I can give you like an actual accurate number, try to think of it. I would say minimum i've seen six complete acl ruptures off of people fighting off an electric chair because what happens is i've got you in this two-on-one and you can't there's no wiggle room for your knee right and so i get you stretched out into that electric chair and if you're trying to stay balanced on the top and you won't concede the sweep your knee is locked down to where you can't move it but when i stretch it i'm pushing your leg off at a really funky angle And I mean, it sounds like a shotgun going off when somebody gets their ACL blown in that position. sounds like somebody hits the wall with a metal baseball bat. It's awful. Ugh. Yeah. That, uh, that makes a lot of sense what you're talking about. If you've got the person's leg locked into that position, it's going to be very hard for them to, to compensate or adjust. And if the person moves in a way that twists your, your knee out of joint, there's nothing you can do to stop it. I suppose. I really feel like the electric chair is the most dangerous submission to use in the gym. I've seen two people get their ACLs blown from having their knee reaped and I like they're on their feet and they're fighting the sweep. And so they're trying to turn their knee back in and their ACL blows on the reap. I've seen that happen twice. Other than that, I've never seen anybody get long-term damage, I guess like surgery level damage from a heel hook. I've seen people get their arms and shoulders blown up from Kimura's a couple of times but i've seen repeatedly people get like i have to have acl reconstruction from the lockdown from the electric chair specifically oh man man that sounds terrible so if you get caught in there listen to me listen kids take the sweep it ain't worth it (laughs) great advice man as always Something that I actually do from the lockdown, and I I am not going to sit here and say that other people should do this or that it's going to work at a high level, but it definitely is fun at the gym. I get a lot of Ezekiel chokes from bottom lockdown. Oh, I'm so happy you said that. I do too. I do it all the time. It's such a stupid move. It should never work, but it does sometimes. (laughs) I've got it on good people too, even as high as black belt. And I think it's because for a lot of people, when they get to that passing position where they are on top of you, they've got your shoulders pinned to the ground, maybe they're going for it or they have a cross face, they've got that far underhook. A lot of people get really greedy there and they feel like I've got the pass. I've almost got it. I'm going to turn up the heat. And the problem that happens is they will start trying to drive really far forward, trying to pull that leg free. 
But the issue is if your hands are up, they're driving themselves right into that Ezekiel position. And the thing I love about this is when you get the Ezekiel on them, I mean, what they're probably going to want to do to escape it is they're going to want to, you know, frame against your face or something. But if you've got their leg locked down, they can't posture, they can't do anything except for just sit there and get choked. So it's absolutely an awesome setup once it happens. Again, I wouldn't necessarily say you're going to see people winning world championships with it. But if you're on bottom lockdown and that person on top kind of turns their brain off and they get too hungry going for the pass, you can absolutely choke them from there. Dude, definitely. And I bet it's even easier in the gi. I haven't done that in the gi, but I bet that just the Ezekiel in general is a lot easier to do in the gi because your gripping doesn't have to be as precise. But man, I love doing that. I'll do it from closed guard too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big fan of the meme chokes. You know, if you're going to tap someone, you want it to be memorable and embarrassing. Yes. Thank you. I'm so happy you said that. (laughs) And people don't like to get tapped with an Ezekiel choke because especially in no gi, because you're told like that that doesn't work like that's not a real move and so people will sometimes even good people they'll just let you do it because they know in their brain that that doesn't work because a hundred people have tried that on them and it never works well mine's real my ezekiel choke is real and so if you get caught in there like you gotta you've gotta have to at least address it or give me something else yeah it's one of those moves where I think people get too conditioned from their instructors or from YouTube that, oh, certain submissions aren't legit or they're not real. And that can lead to the situation where you just almost develop a blind spot and you just ignore those submission attempts because you don't think they're real. And that can be very dangerous because there's going to be that one person out there who can really make it work. And if you just ignored the move because you didn't think it was legit, you're going to wind up way too deep in the choke to get out. Well, and I'll segue right from that into a, the most famous instance of the lockdown working at a high level was when Eddie took on Hoyler. You know, Hoyler famously did not really train with anybody that had a, a real lockdown to deal with Eddie. He was just, you know, I'm better than Eddie. I've been training longer. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to just run through his half guard. And he found out that it just doesn't work that way. Like when a guy has a move that he's a specialist in, you can't go into that world, man. He's going to, he's going to find a way. Let me ask you a question here then. Do you think the lockdown should be considered a quote unquote fundamental? And the reason I bring this up is because if you go through a lot of the 10th planet system, right, a lot of the moves are very specific or situational. And if someone tells me that, you know, 10th planet stuff just isn't their thing and they don't want to play that stuff, fine, I can live with it. I think you need to at least understand that so it doesn't get done to you. But if you want to play a different type of game and you don't see the appeal of rubber guard and all of that, okay, as long as you learn to defend it. But I think the lockdown is generally useful enough that you might want to consider having that right in there in your curriculum with like basic half guard defense, right? Knee shield, lockdown. I think it's right in there with some of those fundamental defenses. But what do you think? Do you agree with that or am I out to lunch? No, I, th- I think I do agree with you. I don't think though, this is maybe a bit of a, a tangent. Here we go. <laughs> I don't think though that any moves should be considered fundamentals or any like set of moves that that's not really how I think about the fundamentals. I think that the fundamentals of jujitsu are balance, weight distribution, leverage, timing, patience, perseverance, all of this, you know, you can name off probably 10 and that any move or set of moves that you're attempting to do 
if you run them through the filter of the principles as fundamentals, that any move works at the right time. So what I would say is to focus your fundamental training on trying to find out, okay, this is an arm bar from the mount. What is it that makes it work? It's the leverage. It's the reaction. It's the timing. It's the weight distribution. It's not the fact that arm bars are magical and better than other moves. It's easy to understand the fundamentals through the filter of a movement like the arm bar because it's a large movement. It's easy to see. It's easy to feel. It's easy to understand. I do think something like the lockdown requires a little more nuance. So maybe it doesn't belong in a quote unquote fundamental curriculum for that reason. Maybe we just use more a traditional half guard for that. But I think that any move is a fundamental move when it's done, when it's built on a foundation of fundamental principles. I'm glad you said that. I kind of figured I was giving you a leading question there and that that was going to be the the right answer. But I agree with you completely. I think that the quote unquote fundamentals is another way that people can put self-limiting thoughts on themselves. You know, we and a way that they can make money off of their particular system. Exactly. It's it's easy to sell people on your system if you have them convinced that everything you're doing is the bedrock foundation of good behavior and everything that everyone else is doing is some sort of weird deviant. I mean, the funny thing, of course, is a hundred years ago, the guard itself would not have been considered fundamental. It would have been considered this crazy thing that a bunch of Brazilian grandpas were doing, right? It has nothing to do with the the main way that people would play judo, but over time, the fundamentals can change. It's a very transitional concept, more so than I think people think. You know, people think that the fundamentals are timeless and they'll never ever change. I don't know, man, if you had a time machine and you went back in time 200 years to Japan, I don't think you'd see a lot of people, you know, doing omoplatas and playing close guard the way that we do now. Not to say it wouldn't exist, but it probably would not be the bedrock foundation of everything we do. So I think that's another belief where people can get things into their head that, something is a fundamental versus it's not. And that can be a way that you can put some limiting beliefs on yourself if you believe that one technique is inherently better or more valuable than others. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think that any technique should be a fundamental technique. I think that when you show up to class tonight, we're going to be studying jujitsu. Tonight, we're going to be studying jujitsu through the filter of heel hooks. But what are heel hooks made of? They're made of balance, weight distribution, timing, leverage, etc. And if you're really paying attention to what we're talking about tonight, then you're going to take the lessons of the principles. And now, whilst even though we're just studying through this filter of the heel hook tonight, because you're listening and taking in the fundamental ideas, all the things you learn tonight are going to be applicable in positions and ways that are not feel unrelated to what we're talking about tonight. Like, the principles are true inside a hill hook. They're true in your mount defense. They're true in the lockdown. They're true in a Kimura. The principles are always true, and the principles and the fundamentals from that perspective never change. The execution, the application of the fundamentals does change, and it changes based on the circumstances. I may have a beautiful Kimura game, but if you're really good at avoiding the Kimura or countering the Kimura, I'm probably not even going to get an opportunity to express that fundamental technique, but I can express the fundamental principles 
on you based on the opportunities and the openings that you're giving me. So I reject the notion that there are fundamental techniques and I adopt the position that the fundamentals are the ideas that build jujitsu and that those in fact are timeless. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think they also, that encourages people if they think conceptually like that, it would encourage people to be more open-minded about trying new things rather than getting it into their head that, you know, well, I'm a butterfly guard player. So that's where I'm going to take this fight. Yeah. It encourages first principles thinking. It also encourages, you talked about the art of martial arts before. It encourages you to be able to sing in your own voice. Like when you first start, if you got to learn how to, I want to learn how to sing. Well, you start by trying to sound like your favorite singer. And then you get that down pretty good and you move on. And I want to learn to sing like this guy now. And then you get, you got a big stack of guys that you can imitate as a singer. Well, eventually all of those influences come together and your own voice starts to emerge from that. And before long, you can write your own music. You can improvise over songs that everybody's heard a hundred times, but when you do it, it sounds just a little different. And I think that if we, if we build our jujitsu game, on ideas rather than moves that we're going to over the long term, at least you're going to have a much more like self-pleasing way of studying the art and something that you're going to be able to glean value from for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things that I've always thought of, and I think most people do in terms of a, a key concept in the martial arts is distance management. Of course, it's a pretty complex topic to unpack, but one of the best practices you will often hear people to say is that usually if you're the person on top, you want to try to take away space. Usually, if you're the person on the, the bottom, you want to try to make space. That's not always true. There's there's exceptions, but just general good practice is if you're getting smashed on the bottom, you probably want to try to make a bit of space. If you are the smasher, you probably want to eat that space and not let the other person make it. And this is one of the areas where I think the lockdown really excels, which is as a distance management tool. And there's a few guards like this. I would classify De La Hiva is being another one like this, where you can use it as a sweeping game. Absolutely. But even if you don't use it to sweep, the value of a tool like that just for distance management is immeasurable. I have had so many situations where I am about to get my half guard passed. You know, I've got my shoulders pinned on the mat. I'm getting cross-faced. My opponent is loosening that leg and I can tell I got maybe one or two seconds before they complete the pass regular jujitsu isn't going to work at that point. You know, I, I can't realistically hip escape because I'm getting cross-faced. I'm in a bad, bad position, but the lockdown is still there. And what I've always found is in that position, if I get the lockdown, I can use that leg pressure to push my opponent back away from me just a few inches. And that's not going to get me out of there, but it's going to be enough that I can get my hands back in and I can frame and I can start fighting for the underhooks and I can block the cross face. And none of that would have been possible if not for the fact that I played the lockdown. So I will personally use the lockdown a lot of the time, not for sweeping, but if I'm getting just absolutely crushed with forward pressure, I'll use it to make a bit of space and then just switch to something else like a knee shield or whatever. What are your thoughts on the lockdown as a distance management tool like that? Is that valid or do you think it would be better if people tried to complete the sweep from there? It's absolutely valid. And I think look no further than 
Anderson Silva versus Daniel Cormier in the UFC. Anderson Silva, you know, he was on the bottom of Daniel Cormier, as everybody tends to end up. And Cormier, on one of the recent broadcasts in the last few months, he was saying, well, Anderson Silva did this to me. He put me in the lockdown during our fight, and I couldn't get up. I couldn't punch him. If the distance distance management, what I'll generally hear is you either want to be all the way in or you want to be all the way out. If you're in that middle range, then there's opportunity for striking. And I do think that the traditional styles of half guard, if we're thinking about when striking is involved, they offer a lot of opportunity for the top person to start raining down with punches, elbows, strikes, you know, not good. But if you've got somebody pulled down with that lockdown, with that two-on-one, they're stuck to your chest and you got grips on their upper body, how do they strike you? And so that really harkens back to how the lockdown became a thing in the first place is Eddie's initial idea was, I want to have a jujitsu that keeps me from getting beat up when I'm on the bottom. Does it work? Does it submit somebody? I'll tell you what, it definitely, if you can keep these lockdown, rubber guard, these positions, there's no opportunity for striking within those guards. And so, yes, I absolutely think it's a viable distance management tool. Yeah, yeah, I remember that match specifically. Of course, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, Cormier won. No surprise, right? Silva moved up weight classes to take a fight just to keep the UFC's card together. He came in way undersized, I believe. You know, he was, it wasn't a planned fight. I think he took it on just a few days' notice, and he still managed to take uh, Cormier to a decision. And yes, he completely frustrated him with that lockdown. I mean, it, if you don't do jujitsu, you probably were bored to tears watching that fight. But as someone who does jujitsu, you watch that, and that was one of the first illustrations that I remember seeing of just high-level lockdown shutting down a, a good top player in the UFC. So, great example there. I wouldn't even call it high-level lockdown. He really just used it defensively to stop the ground and pound. But, man, what other half-guard could he have used to stop Daniel Cormier from driving his face into the dirt? I can't think of another option. Yeah. Well, here's a question here. Why does... Or why do you believe that lockdown is a good guard to play in MMA? Because it does seem a bit counterintuitive, right? When people think of lockdown, they think it's basically leg-on-leg control. It's a two-on-one, like you talked about. But your opponent's hands are, are free. I mean, you contrast this with other things in the 10th planet system, like the rubber guard. I mean, man, if anyone's ever been stuck in the rubber guard, you know you're not going to be throwing any power punches from there. It just isn't going to happen. But lockdown, when you look at two people doing that... Your intuitive thought is, well, this guy on top, he's sitting there, his hands are unobstructed. What's to stop from just teeing off on this person's face? What is the mechanic that makes that harder to do than people might think? Well, the distance, you're just so close. Like you think about the lockdown, you think about what's happening at the legs, but what's happening at the upper body, that's where the punches come. If you're caught in a lockdown, what are going to be your major responses as the top guy? Well, I'm going to try to get the underhook on the same side as the lockdown. Well, that arm now is completely out of the mix for throwing strikes because I have to use it to stop you from popping out the back and trying to get up with it, right? Because if the bottom guy gets the underhook with the lockdown, that's dangerous, whether he's good at it or not. He's very close to at least coming up to his dogfight there, right? And then on the other side with the, let's say you're trying to pass the half guard and you take the right side underhook, the bottom guy's right hand is free to either clinch your upper body or underhook your leg and the whole time you're stretching him out or bumping him forward with that lockdown so he's constantly having to think about using that left hand to base 
it's just not a lot of opportunity to throw strikes. And if you can keep him pulled down tight to you while you work that lockdown, there's just not going to be any opportunity to throw a strike. Yeah. I think the other thing too, that's probably worth mentioning. I mean, I'm not a striking expert by far, but one of the things I do know is it is going to be very hard to throw a power strike if you don't have any base, right? You need to put your whole body into it. And the thing about lockdown is if you do feel that the person is trying to posture up to tee off or even to pass, you have a few options right then and there, and you can develop a sensitivity to it. We talked earlier about that crazy leg lock that can happen sometimes if people just posture up. Well, I mean, one counter to that is just let it go and switch to a different guard. That's always an option. But the other thing is, and I've had a lot of luck with this, if I feel that someone is trying to posture up from my lockdown, I just do the leg whip you talked about. I immediately whip my legs up. And then what winds up happening is they lose all of their base. In in the process of trying to posture up, they just go flying forward. Very, very hard for someone to execute a, a passing sequence or to throw a strike at you if you're constantly taking them off base like that. So just a, a really good illustration there of how you can actually pull a lot of Kazushi from the bottom with lockdown just by whipping your legs. Yeah, and Kazushi, of course, that's the the main element. That's the most important part of any any sweep. And so trying to find ways to use that two-on-one to create that moment of off mallets is crucial. Well, let me ask you a question here, Brandon. Did we miss anything? That was a pretty comprehensive chat about this position, but is there anything else that, you know, if you want to teach the world out there how to play this effectively that we should cover or talk about before we tie this up? Well, I will say this, and I don't know the guy's name. You might know right off the top of your head. You probably do. But there's a guy that's using the lockdown now, and he's taking the... So imagine you got the lockdown on your opponent's right leg but you get his left leg passed over to the other side of your body. And there's a guy now playing that. He's, he's calling it the fishnet. And a lot of people are playing, are using it now at the black belt level. That is a really, really strong lockdown variation. That's the position, if you think back to the Hoyler versus Eddie matchup from Metamorris 3, when Eddie tries to take him across with the electric chair and then he ends up passing the leg to the other side, he gets that sweep and then goes to the calf crank from there. That's that same position. And I've I've been seeing that popping up more and more. And whatever the guy's name is, he's hit it a bunch in black belt level competition. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he's calling it the fishnet. Eddie calls that stoner control. I don't know why. I don't know. Why would Eddie pick something called and call it stoner control? Who knows? But he calls it stoner control. You pass that, the non-lockdown leg to the other side. So if you're interested in messing around with the lockdown or you're looking to maybe add some new tools to it, that's a position that's definitely worth examining right now. I was under the impression that pretty much every technique in the 10th planet system is stoner control. Guilty as charged, my boy. (laughs) Well, hey, Brandon, if people want to contact you or follow you on social or learn from you, or if they just want to hear you provide some commentary on high level grappling, how could they go about doing that? Yeah, I do all the EBIs, the combat jujitsus. Next time ADCC rolls around, you can expect to see me there as well. If you're interested in just following, go to Instagram, BrandonMC.Ninja, YouTube, BrandonMCNinja, no dot in that one. And if you're specifically interested in learning the lockdown, I have a four-week curriculum specifically focused on the lockdown, the 80-20 out of the lockdown that you're going to need to get to work on it right away. You can go to www.brandonmc.ninja and pick up that course. I think it's 39 bucks. Can't beat that. Awesome. And that's a pretty good return on investment too, not just because of the price, but because 
from my experience, Lockdown is a really powerful tool that beginners can deploy quite quickly. There's a lot of positions that take a lot of time to invest in before you'll start to see returns. But at least for me, anecdotally, when I started playing the lockdown at a, at a much more junior level, I started getting results out of that almost right away. And even at Black Belt today, it's one of those techniques that I never outgrew. I still use it all the time. It's got a very specific purpose for me, which is that distance management off of the bottom. And there just isn't any other guard quite like it that does what it does in the situation that it does. So it's a position that I do say, you know, even if you don't think of yourself as a 10th planet person, it definitely merits study. I didn't realize you got a course on that. That's awesome. As I always do, I'll put all of those links in the show notes. I'll also throw the links to all of our stuff. Everyone surely knows, but go to bjjmentalmodels.com. That's where you can find every episode that we've ever done of this podcast. Hundreds of write-ups on the concepts and topics that we've talked about here on the show as well in our database. We've also got our amazing free newsletter that I do encourage everyone to get on board with. Beyond that, if you want to work with us directly, you can join BJJ Mental Models Premium. You do that, and that unlocks our entire audio course library for you. So we've got a lot of really long-form structured conversations there with some of the best in the sport explaining their, their systems and how they think. That's also where you can get rolling reviews from us if you join Premium. We've got some amazing black belts on our team there that'll break down the footage for you. And of course, you also get to be part of our community. So there's a free trial. I do request that everyone please do check it out. You can get all of that at bjjmentalmodels.com. And again, link in the show notes. But Brandon, thanks so much, man. Always have fun with these chats with you. Just greatly appreciated. And hey, I couldn't think of anyone better to have this lockdown chat with than BMAC. So thanks again. Hey, my pleasure, man. I really appreciate you having the confidence in me to ask me. Thank you. <laughs> no worries, man. Thanks a lot. You're always welcome here. Same to the listeners too. Thanks a lot. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care.